Welcome, listeners, to a new episode of the Case Podcast. Uh, today, we will have a conversation about software engineering for the topic responsible web applications. And to do that, I've invited Joy Heron. Hi, Joy. Hi. Uh, so Joy is a, a senior consultant at InnoQ. Um, she's also well known for uh, her contributions to the Case Podcast, the very podcast you're listening to right now. Uh, and she's a full stack developer and uh, she has a lot of uh, thoughts about good front end development and good front end principles. And that will be our topic for today. But before we get into that, we probably need to talk about the word responsible web applications because uh, it sounds like I've mispronounced something maybe, but uh, I have not. So can you explain what responsible web applications are and what it means? Yes, um, it actually comes from uh, a mistake that I made. So if you feel like you accidentally said something incorrectly, <laughs> it's it's not completely wrong. Um, when the term actually came from when I was trying to say uh, it, it was internally, I wanted to show some colleagues some tips and tricks that I've picked up over the years um, for writing uh, applications which are responsive and accessible. And when you say responsible and accessible, <laughs> responsive, <laughs> I just did, I just did it right now. If you say <laughs> responsive and accessible too long and too fast, it comes out responsible. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was kind of a mistake uh, when I said it the first time, but uh, I think it, it works actually. Um, mm -hmm. Because uh, I feel like we as web developers do have a responsibility to make sure that our um, that our applications work on every device. That's what responsive web applications mean. And for every user, which is what accessible applications mean. So the mm -hmm. word responsible, it actually, I think it, it really works. Um, it's a great marketing uh, term as well, which, uh, which you know, I wish I came up with it on purpose. I didn't, but I do think it, it really works um, for what, what uh, I, I want to talk about. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so uh, if, if we hear responsive and accessible, um, a lot of people might think, okay, those are both important, but do they have something in common? What, what is the reason to look at them together? What, what do you answer to that? I, I think they actually, the more I've uh, kind of delved into the topic, the more I've found that they do have a lot in common. Um, I find that the, th the way you think about developing a web application to make it responsive is often very similar to way, the way you think about an application in order to make it accessible. Um, and, mm -hmm. and not maybe not always the same thoughts, but they, they complement each other. If you make it an application which is accessible, um, that means essentially that you are structuring your most of the time the, the basis is that you're structuring your structuring your html in a really good way so that mm -hmm. the html is is the most it can be understood from any uh device or um assistive technology or whatever you're using um and and that that adds a great basis so for when you're talking about responsive web applications, which is when you look at what are the content that I have on my page and how can I make them kind of squish uh, to fill the space that I have. And so the structure of the accessibility, the structure of the HTML um, really makes a great basis for writing CSS to ensure that the application works on any device. I really mm -hmm. like how the two, uh, two play together. Um, mm -hmm. 
but but they are still like independent things like like they they have something in common and they have a similar basis but they still require separate thoughts about them right they do uh they do there are separate concepts i would say mm -hmm. um i would say there's also there's a like if you're doing like a venn diagram <laughs> where yeah. you have accessibility on one side responsive behavior on, on another side there there's certain things that would only be dealing with accessibility and certain things mm -hmm. that would only be dealing with uh response responsiveness of a, of a website but it turns out you can find what you can do is you can find a great number of solutions which make it easy to have it be both responsive and accessible at the same time so you're kind of mm -hmm. uh killing two birds with one stone uh, mm -hmm. at that point in time um, okay yeah great so it is two it is two different things that you need to consider and and have in the back of your mind but they mm -hmm. play really really well together great okay cool so then uh let's get started with responsive web design uh we both work as consultants and uh, in my experience um the requirements are often uh defined by the client right so uh, a lot of clients say that they don't really need responsive web design uh, what would you say to that uh <laughs> i would say uh, yeah, so I actually made a, a law, <laughs> my first uh -huh. law of Joy's first law of web development is that there is no such thing as a non-responsive web application. Um, yeah. And I think, I think when clients come with this kind of thought, they are coming from the idea, like, you know, maybe 10, 10, 15 years ago, how people built responsive web applications. They built it in a way where it was really expensive. Um, it's like you had to build a whole separate website just for mm -hmm. the mobile applications and then you had a separate completely separate website for a desktop application so it was like you're building the same application twice and so client thinks like oh i'm going to be able to cut costs <laughs> by saying we don't need responsive behavior yeah. but in my experience it's just not true that that you don't need a uh, responsive at uh, responsive behavior as every in every single instance that i've ever experienced uh, while developing a web application um it, it, there was always like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't need, um, we don't need a mobile website because everybody mm. will go be, be accessing this on, on their desktop, and we know all of our users, and they all have a desktop computer, um, and and that's true until it isn't true, and that's the thing. Mm. So that th that can be, you know, that's our, our that's a requirement. But then eight months into the project. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, two years into the project, uh, whenever it occurs, there will always be some kind of um, requirement that comes, you know, like maybe a user accidentally <laughs> opens your web, your web application on their tablet or on their phone, and it looks bad. They're going to mm -hmm. think it's broken. They aren't, aren't going to think, you know, well, this only works on desktop unless you would, I don't know if you were crazy enough to write that on your web application to say yeah. work on viewports smaller than um you know smaller than 270 pixels but uh you know that just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't actually match with my experience of reality and reality users like to you they, they will use your web application everywhere they'll try yeah. to use it everywhere and even if you're working on a desktop computer we often make our we make our browsers smaller and it'd be yeah. nice if the content would also move to fit into that smaller browser window so that we can have more than one window open on our desktop. So um, that's what I say. There is just no such thing as a non-responsive web application. Yeah. Um, I think... Yeah. 
I think that this uh, notion is a lot more common in applications that you develop for internal purposes of a customer, right? So if the, they previously had some application for their call center or something um, that is used by employees, uh, so the employees are the customers, they Uh, this notion of non-responsive applications is, I th in my experience, much more common than customer-facing yes, applications where this is, like, probably widely accepted, I would say. But, like, even, even for those applications, for the reasons you mentioned, it doesn't make a lot of sense to not make it responsible, uh, responsive. <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, I think that... Um, It's always funny when you are in a meeting where everyone's sitting there with their smartphone and they say like, no, we don't need this. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> what <laughs> do you never want to visit that page with your application? But I think it's, it's from the mindset of those um, uh, um, desktop applications that they are replacing, right? So they mm -hmm. beforehand, they had maybe something like a Java Swing application and um, now they want to re replace it with a web application and maybe that's the reason why they are thinking this way, but I'm not sure. Yeah, but in, in my experience, and that's my second law of the web development. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have to have two. So Joy's second <laughs> law of web development is that any work you do now to ensure that your web application behaves responsively it will be appreciated in the future. So when a mm -hmm. customer comes to me and says, um, we don't, we only need desktop, you know, I'll say, I don't believe you. <laughs> But even yeah. if I don't tell them that, I, well, I will tell them that. Uh, um, I'll just say, that's just, that's, you, that's not true. Uh, but um, even if, you know, if we're not, we don't have to optimize for mobile to make mm -hmm. it work on mobile. That's, there's kind, that's kind of a two separate thing. So we can, we can, you know, make it work for the desktop version the best, but still make it kind of work for mobile. So to lay the basis uh, so that it can be used on mobile devices in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and and this is, I've done, I do this in every project I do. So the customer comes say, oh, we don't really need, um, we don't really need responsive behavior. I say, okay, I build it anyway, because it's not much harder than <laughs> building a, an application, which is, um, which is non-responsive. Um, and then later, uh, they come and then they're like, oh, you know, we have this requirement. The customer just told us they need to use it on their tablets. And then I'm like, okay, well, it works on your tablet. So mm -hmm. <laughs> you're fine. Um, I have, I have a little anecdote. Oh, we once, uh, I was working on an, on an application, which they said there's absolutely no our user group. They never work on a, on a monitor, which is less than 27 inches. Mm -hmm. uh, it might have been 25 inches or something like that, but it's uh, like you know a very big screen, so we don't need to optimize for for mobile. Um, and then uh, then like a month before it was supposed to be shown at a really important um, uh, messa. Mm -hmm. uh, what's messa in English? <laughs> um, uh, Roadshow, trade show. Yeah, yeah, trade show. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I speak fluent English. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So. It was going to be shown at a very important trade show. And then the marketing department said, oh, yeah, we bought four, um, four iPads to show the application on. We're uh -huh. like, oh, no. But since it worked on iPads, it was fine, you know? Okay. And that's yeah. what I'm saying. That's my second law of development. Even if the customer says there's no need for, um, for responsive, uh, responsive behavior on your web application, just build it anyway. Mm. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> So, so you said it like in a in a in a sentence, uh, but um, can you can you still 
explain what do you think is the additional cost that a, re a responsive web de uh, design has over like uh, fixed with web design nowadays? Nowadays, I would say um, it's I would say it's approximately twice as expensive <laughs> in my mm -hmm. reasoning for that is this is just a obviously it's just a guess <laughs> yeah but but the reason is is that if you build a fixed width application and then you find out you have responsive behavior you're basically going to have to rebuild everything from scratch yeah. so you might the second time around it might be a little bit less expensive because you already have some basic like some basic things in the background you might not have to redo the whole back end for instance but you have to redo all of the work in the front end in order to get it done and it it is uh and, and you have to migrate the old front end to the uh to the new front end and it's just time consuming and expensive um mm -hmm. whereas if you build in uh, responsive behavior from the very beginning then uh then that just doesn't happen so it may be that there is a slight like a slight more expense if your developers aren't familiar with responsible like responsive web development like mm -hmm. there's there might be a small delay in cost of learning it's possible yeah. but that learning is kind of a very good investment in my opinion because mm -hmm. it's something that will be able to be transferred to any other projects that you have in the future so that's only like a short you know a short maybe there's possibly this might be a tiny bit more expensive to do it mobile now it might take a tiny bit longer to test it on multiple viewports now but uh, over the long term you will have an application that just works on all mm -hmm. different kind of of uh, devices without having to really think about it <laughs> and you won't yeah. have to build three different versions of the website for different viewports you just have one um, mm. And it's a less code base to maintain in the long run. You don't have to migrate your application. Um, so it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> okay, awesome. Um, so one of, one of the principles in uh, web development is this uh, approach called mobile first. Mm -hmm. uh, would you say that this is part of your approach or is it different from your approach? Oh. That's, that's, that's how I would usually build, uh, build a... Um, a responsive web application. So for me, mobile first basically means I take content, which on like I, I format it how it would look on mobile first, and then mm -hmm. on a desktop device, which has a larger viewport, I can move the content around so that it takes up you know more space. I have more space to use, so I can kind of restructure the elements better, and that works usually better. Um, than the other way around. So, mm -hmm. oh, wait, because on mobile, you're usually placing your content in a, like a vertical column. Um, mm -hmm. if, if you go to uh, my website, responsibleweb.app, there's a little widget you can play with kind of sh that kind of shows it, but it's like there's there may be f five or six content areas on your mobile site, which on mobile, you just place them, you know, vertically underneath mm -hmm. each other and then on a desktop where there's more space you can then move those areas around to fit in different uh positions which i personally find works a lot better than if you were to say on a desktop device i have these six different areas and then i have to squish them down to yeah. uh, to um you know to work on a on a mobile device which i guess it, it would maybe be the same product in the end <laughs> if your if your brain works that way but i personally find it much easier to think the other way around so i work 
you know, first for the mobile representation, and then I make it um, make it a bit different on on a desktop device. Awesome. Okay, so this is because like the more capabilities your device has, uh, being screen size or performance or stuff like that, uh, the more you add, but it's much harder to take things away uh, later, yes, right? Exactly. Okay. Awesome. Um, so um, when I uh, think about responsive uh, responsive web applications, one thing that comes to mind are breakpoints. Like especially mm -hmm. if you use something like Bootstrap, um, they have predefined breakpoints for uh, tablet, phone, mm -hmm. uh, desktop, big desktop, and so on. Um, is that the way you would view responsive web design, or is that something that's different from what you would do nowadays um yes <laughs> mm -hmm. short answer yes um i i go into it a bit the way i develop uh responsive web applications which is not i don't know there may be other methods that will work but what i usually do is i first focus on the layout um uh this is maybe going a little bit to the accessible point which uh we will talk about more later But I look for first at the semantic HTML of my layout. Um, uh, what different you know areas I can use a main area, a header area, a footer area, a side like you can use a sides or sidebar areas. And so I look at you know what what content am I really going to have in my um, in my application, and I look at it. You know we said before. Um, Uh, I usually do mobile first, so I'll have like a think, okay, on mobile, these these areas will need to be maybe positioned over like vertically over each other. And then on desktop, um, they will need to be, uh, they will need to be, you know, positioned differently. And so what I do is I have two parts to how I develop responsive web applications. The first is that I, um, use, I call them responsive layout containers. So I define really uh, with CSS, with CSS grid, as uh, my, um, my tool of choice. CSS of choice, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is, it, you can, you can, it's pretty easy nowadays with uh, CSS grid to do this. You can just um, define, you know, from a certain breakpoint, these layout areas, which are kind of generic, I don't mm -hmm. really maybe know what's going to end up in that specific area, but I can define on the container level, I can define, I will have these different areas and I want them uh, on mobile to be all vertically aligned. And then on the larger viewports, I want them to be positioned differently um, mm -hmm. to maybe have a main, a main content area, to have a sidebar, to have a header, this kind of thing. And so I have usually one <laughs> breakpoint in my um, CSS, which means that from that I say like from this point on, um, please switch the layout so that th then there's sidebar is positioned next to the main content. Mm -hmm. um, so then I'll just choose a breakpoint. Uh, I think I don't know if I link it in my article. I can, um, yeah, I, I don't think I do, but I can. So uh, we can link in the show notes. There's one. Um, One article that I usually use uh, about how we can choose breakpoints, um, uh -huh. like how how we can choose breakpoints based on device size. You're, the the best way is to choose a a breakpoint which is, for instance, uh, bigger than the biggest uh, biggest tablet portrait, but smaller uh -huh. than the smallest like 
uh, rotated portrait uh, tablet. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's quite yes. portrait. You know, you can choose a breakpoint in between so that on most devices you'll have a smooth transition. Um, mm-hmm. But that, that's what I do. So that's the, that's the first step I do is I take, I define really a, a skeleton, a structure, mm-hmm. um, and then that's my responsive container. And then what I do is that all of the, of the elements that I place in those different areas of my layout, those I call them squishy components. So I make sure those, those components, every component um, will squish to fit the space that's available. So there's some, uh, there's a few different, um, different, uh, ways you can do that. We can maybe go into those, uh, later, mm-hmm. but the idea is that the, you have these two parts. So the lay the layout itself is responsive. It will change at a certain breakpoint, And then I have these content areas, which are kind of generic HTML containers, and I can just place different CSS uh, HTML components in those layout areas and make sure that the components themselves will squish to fit the space that they have available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, before we get into that, um, can we just recap the CSS grid part? Like, can mm-hmm. I use that today or is it still not supported far <laughs> enough? And what is my fallback if, if it doesn't? Yeah. So that's, that's one of the things that, that's uh, wonderful about, um, they call it progressive enhancement. So CSS mm-hmm. grid is actually supported in every major browser nowadays. It's mm-hmm. not supported in Internet Explorer 11, um, but it is, ex- uh, it is supported in, you know, Android, um, telephone, um, I've, iPhone, all of, you know, Firefox, Safari, Chrome, I would, uh, Opera, I would assume Edge. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's supported everywhere. So you can use it. Um, it's not even, it's been around for at least two years, at least I feel, um, that it's been pretty well supported. Um, but, but the, the nice thing about CSS is, is that if you, um, if CSS grid isn't, um, isn't supported, the nice thing is, is that your fallback, which is probably your mobile layout, where all Mm. of the elements are placed vertically one, you know, after another, that will still work in Internet Explorer 11. Mm-hmm. So unless you have a really great reason why you you need Internet Explorer 11, which, you know, if you're in a, have an enterprise customer and they have a pre-installed Internet Explorer 11 that every all users use, then yeah, you probably need to um, yeah. maybe reach for some other layout mechanisms. But um, for, you know, it, for just a fallback, the fallback would just be the normal layout. It would just be yes. the vertical layout, which works You know, it works on your phone. It also works in in a browser which doesn't understand CSS Grid. So it has a nice fallback. You don't have to worry about using it. Mm-hmm. That's great. I, I find it funny that you said like uh, it's uh, there for at least two years. And I remember in my first years as a, a front end web developer, two years were like it's only there for two years because <laughs> uh, browser upgrade cycles were so much slower. But I think like, mm-hmm. especially due to auto upgrading browsers, yes. I think we can switch to newer things much earlier mm-hmm. than we could like five or 10 years ago because they they are just getting upgraded, right? Because yes. Internet Explorer 6, uh, it was there for years and years and years and there were no upgrades or auto upgrades to a newer version. There w- wasn't even a newer version, but nowadays Chrome is getting upgraded like every three weeks and Firefox mm-hmm. is the same thing, right? And uh, as a user, you don't even notice that 
this is happening, right? Even mm-hmm. even for uh, enterprise settings where the uh, browser is upgraded. Uh, but that's great yeah. to know that it's uh, wide supported. Yeah, but even then, I, I do. I actually personally like to try out new CSS features. Um, mm-hmm. I th- we we did a I did a pace, case podcast with Rachel Andrew. We can link that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. She also talked about you know some newer CSS features, and we can we can use them as long as we ensure that the that the base uh, base uh, variant also looks good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Andy Bell on Twitter he talked about minimal viable experience or something like that. I can mm-hmm. look look up the tweet. Maybe I can find it, and if we can, we can put it in the show notes. But I like that this idea that we we develop you know the the base. Of our of our CSS, we can make it look nice, um, even if if we're using some feature, you know, on a modern browser which understands aspect ratio, for instance, that just came out. Most browsers yeah. even now won't understand it, but we can make a we can make it, you know, normal without aspect mm-hmm. ratio, and then um, set the CSS rule. And so, as soon as the browser does understand it, suddenly you have a better layout without you actually having to do anything or deploy anything. So I think I think oh. that's one of my uh, my favorite things about CSS is that you can try out all these new things, and as long as you make sure that the fallback is nice, you don't have to actually um, worry about uh, worry about a bad user experience <laughs> for mm-hmm. your users if they don't have the most modern browser. Yeah, I think a good example for that would be also the uh, navigation you have on the Responsible Web App mm-hmm. site. It doesn't have anything to do with responsive, uh, responsive or accessible web apps, but uh, you used an effect where it like flows around a circle, right? And yes. this would also fall back quite nicely on an older browser, right? I think so. Yeah. And now I'm hoping I actually tested that, but I think so. Yeah. <laughs> it is a float. And so I think that uses CSS shapes. So I think if, um, if CSS shapes is not supported, then it would just float as, yeah. as if it were around a box. So I yeah. think it would be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I deactivate it, it's just like it's straight down. It's not following mm-hmm. the shape, but it's like a straight yeah. mm-hmm. left and right thing. Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. that works. Cool. Uh, so, so you mentioned squishy components, uh, yes. which is, uh, pretty nice word and uh, untranslatable to german um so what <laughs> i've what, tried though <laughs> <laughs> uh what is this uh, how do you implement a squishy component you already said what it is but how do you implement it yeah so there's different methods i maybe just uh, um i don't know if we can link to that specific section in the yeah. show notes or if, if if the users can just go to responsibleweb.app and go to the section there's different ways like they, with flexbox for instance um, maybe I'll just list out a few. So if you're using Flexbox for uh, displaying content, you can just use Flex Wrap, which means that if if, you're, if the items in your Flexbox no longer fit within the space, they'll just wrap onto the next line and and continue um, uh, at the to continue on the next line. Um, and you can also re- nest Flexboxes inside of each other. So to get some nice responsive behavior, um, you can use Flexbox to make the content just fit in the space that it has available. So I personally like using Flexbox as long as I'm, um, as long as I'm basically styling things in one dimension, there's Flexbox and CSS grid. So one question some people ask is when do I use Flexbox? When do you use CSS Mm -hmm. grid? I personally often like to use Flexbox when it's just on one axis. I know I'm either positioning elements horizontally or I'm positioning them vertically. 
that Flexbox is quite flexible. Yeah. <laughs> makes, you know. um, makes sense. You know, <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, that's, so that's one option. With Flexbox, you have a lot of options for making the content just squish down to fit into the available space. Um, and, and there's some other options. So there's also CSS Grid has uh, a function which is called, it's, I, don't, I call it an intrinsic grid, but basically mm -hmm. you can use a grid template columns that rule with repeat and autofill. And then um, no matter how many elements you place inside of this, this uh, a container, CSS or the HTML container, um, they will just fill, uh, fill the grid. So they'll create a grid with as many columns as are as as many columns as are available, which is really mm -hmm. nice if you're doing something like um, like generating a page with a bunch of cards, <laughs> things yeah. that look like cards, like uh, links to articles or different things. You can do that with a with an intrinsic grid. So that means that the grid itself will will collapse if you make the viewport viewport smaller, and then probably on a mobile grid, um, you will only have you know, one column, but in a larger viewport, two, three, four, as, as many as, as fit within the space. Um, mm -hmm. So that's another method. Um, one I, I have on the site, I think I have four in total. That's, that doesn't mean these, uh, those are the only four that you can use to make a component. Yeah. But one, one I use is uh, a lot is like a horizontal scroll container, yeah. um, which basically means that uh, you just set overflow X to be auto. And that yeah. means that the component, it, like the, the box itself stays the same size as the layout requires. But if you put larger content inside of that box, um, it'll just uh, activate a scroll bar. So I use that yeah. a lot when we're developing um, enterprise applications. We might be developing applications with a lot of tables and this kind of thing. And tables are notoriously difficult to make squishy. I mean, you can do it. It's just a bit more yeah. work that I did. That's not one of the quick tricks <laughs> you can yeah. use. But um, but often if, often a table is still, as long as you can scroll it horizontally, um, is still usable on a mobile mm -hmm. device. So if you just place that table inside of like a scrollable container, that means that um, that on a mobile device you can you can actually still view the content, which is what's important. Yeah. Otherwise, what happens is um, if you don't make your components squishy, like with tables, what will happen is is that by default, most um, most CS like a CSS layout uh, container, if the content doesn't fit in the box, like you know, if a mobile mobile yeah. device says um, put the table go in this box, and then the table says no, I'm going to jump out of the box, then mm -hmm. it messes up the whole layout. So usually, the nav bar above doesn't doesn't quite fit, fit you know yeah. it, it squishes all of the other content to the left so that it, it tries to fit the table or something like that yeah um, it's also something that happens <laughs> is that that yeah, on your phone it it's bigger than the screen for some reason and then uh, it's a very weird user experience because mm -hmm. you can scroll a bit to the right the entire screen and everything's mm -hmm. a bit off right <laughs> which is yeah yeah weird. yeah yeah so 
so I, I just don't like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like one of those, when I see that, I'm like, no, yeah. it's on scroll. It's at least, you know, at least the content itself is in its own little box that scrolls. Yeah. But what's the experience there with uh, scrolling uh, scroll bars? Because like nowadays, uh, most browsers hide the scroll bars for mm-hmm. a reason I'm not entirely sure about. <laughs> um, like most people expect that they can scroll down the entire page, but do they mm-hmm. also expect that they can scroll inside this tiny bar horizontally i don't i'm not exactly sure i feel like if the con like this is maybe just me as a user if the content is obviously cut off then then you can um then it may look like it's scrollable and the user may try you can also add Mm. sometimes a box box shadow like an internal box shadow to a scrollable container which makes it look like uh like you like you can see that there might be some some content to ah, the right if you scroll mm. um yeah <laughs> so that's one thing you can't do you need to just you know just look and see how does it look is it obvious can you tell that it's scrollable if it's not if it's not obvious that it's scrollable you might need to add some kind of shadows yeah. or something or some icon i don't know to yeah. maybe indicate that they can scroll yeah when, maybe when there's something you need to to do a little user test uh, for your specific application, mm-hmm. right? To see if people yeah. understand that they can scroll there, right? Okay. Yeah. Cool. And yeah. the the last part are the squishy texts, right? Yeah, that's just kind of I, I threw that on there. It's a little bit of a uh, collection of different things which can can help your um, text to break. So some some problem is is uh, one problem is is if you um, most content is squishy mm-hmm. <laughs> by default, but some like text will not break by default. Yeah. Uh, so it's like the, the typical, you know, CSS meme and CSS is awesome and awesome is sticking out of the box. Yeah. Because the box has a width and awesome is, is longer than, than the width. Um, but there is uh, some methods like with, with hyphen, some kind of modern CSS. It's like hyphens, overflow wrap. Um, word wrap and these things. So word wrap and word breaker, older, older, mm-hmm. um, CSS properties. And there's some, um, uh, you know, WebKit specific CSS as well there mm-hmm. that I listed on the site, which will just, um, activate hyphenation for your text. So if it does break, um, then it will break and fit within the box. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that you, it is worth noting maybe that you, the you the I think it's based on sometimes the browser decides where it's hyphenated. So they need to the browsers need to have um uh dictionaries installed sometimes to hyphenate yeah. correctly. But I think modern modern browsers do that pretty well. Um and even Internet Explorer eleven, as long as you're you know, viewing a German website on a German <laughs> computer, they yeah. also do hyphenation. So okay. um yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I, I think like uh, you, you mentioned that um, by default, the browser is pretty responsive, um, mm-hmm. which is, I think, one of the interesting things about uh, web development, because if you don't add any CSS uh, at all, mm-hmm. your page will be responsive, right? Uh, so yeah. um, it's always kind of our fault if it's not, right? <laughs> yeah, for the most part. I mean, most content, if it doesn't fit in the box, it just squishes that's yeah. what it does <laughs> yeah you don't usually exactly. have to say anything else 
Cool. Yeah. Okay. I, I think we, we covered like most of the responsive part, right? So we have a lot of uh, cool tools, especially uh, Flexbox and CSS Grid can help mm -hmm. us a lot. Uh, and with I, making and I should, should mention that, C that Chrome is right now working on container queries, which is extremely oh. exciting. Do, so do that, you want to share <laughs> your happiness about that? I'm very excited. So yes, I want to yeah. share my happiness, but uh, I don't know the exact spec yet. Um, mm -hmm. I've been trying to follow along and read a little bit, but, um, I'm just really excited that it's uh, actually being, <laughs> being worked okay. on right now. And that, so that what will is do, that? that will be like, you'll be able to write, I don't know what the syntax will be, but you'll be able to say at container is similar to how you would write a media query. Mm -hmm. Um, you would, you would write, uh, um, you know, this container, you would write a container and then like a min width 60, uh, pixels or whatever you're using or 15 rem or, um, and then you can kind of uh, change the layout of your component based on the amount of space it actually has, not um, not based on the, the width of the viewport. So what, what a lot of times will happen is, is when we're working on this kind of responsive design, we have, you know, our, our responsive layout outside, and then we'll switch from, you know, a vertical layout to a a layout with a sidebar and a main content area. And there's certain viewports where that main content area is actually smaller than it is on mm -hmm. the viewport, which is one pixel smaller because yeah. of the switch. Um, and so with this kind of container queries, you you would make the, you know, so the component that you put in that content area, you would make that respond to the width that it has available and not the width, which, uh, which you, which, you have for your viewport. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really exciting. Uh, it's been one of like the most requested feature for CSS for yeah. a really long time. So I'm really happy that um, some people for, uh, are working on it right now. Yeah, that, that's pretty great. I, I think like the, the reason it took so long is because it's re really complicated to implement it uh, as yeah. a very cool feature that works well and is also working on slower devices mm -hmm. and stuff like that, right? So yeah. Yeah, Big but they also like them. with, yeah, yeah, really. Um, like with CSS, you have to, I don't really understand the, the details that go into the background, but with CSS, you have to make sure, you know, that, uh, that there's, you know, recursion that could happen if you yeah. modify a component to make sure it doesn't, you know, recur unendlessly or, you know, the performance isn't horribly bad or you're triggering layout re, rewrites every single time you change the layout, this kind of thing. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a very complicated problem, and so uh, it's it's something that they're working on, and and I'm very excited to see awesome. what, what solutions they come up with. <laughs> cool. Okay, so so let's get into accessibility. Uh, accessibility is a, a broad field. Uh, there mm -hmm. are different kinds of uh, accessibility needs that people have that visit our web pages. Um, I think your focus is a bit on uh, blind users. Right. So th there are other uh, accessibility things like contrast, for example, um, mm -hmm. that are uh, also very important, but mm -hmm. uh, that's not your focus in this article, right? Yes, I, I listed out some things, but I didn't list out everything you need yeah. to be accessible. I, I yeah. made it, I tried to make it clear these are just some tips and tricks. Yeah. So the focus, so, so my, one of my main tools for testing accessibility is a screen reader. So, mm -hmm. um, a lot of the things that I mentioned are things, you know, that you can easily find out, uh, with a screen reader, Yeah. but it also helps, you know, that the two main, like if you, if you can make somebody, something screen reader accessible and keyboard accessible, and also 
pay attention to um you know contrast and things then you're you've 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 done a good job <laughs> you know yeah. it's a good start it's a good start so yeah. the the to be accessible um the the tips and tricks i list on the site are not exhaustive by any means yeah. but they're necessary <laughs> yeah and so um so i think with with learning a little bit we as developers can um can stop making stupid mistakes frankly mm. um and and just think about people who might be using our web application who don't use it the same way we do yeah <laughs> um and and then uh we can make it maybe 80% accessible mm -hmm. maybe you know maybe we can't maybe we don't have the skills to make it 100% perfect yeah. but we can get pretty far if we know some basics and that's kind of what i wanted to um wanted to convey on this website um i feel like i'm learning new things about accessibility all the time um yeah and so uh it was yeah i <laughs> i had people check you know like um if if the things i list on the site are correct and yes they they are <laughs> okay but i also feel like i also know there's other things i don't know but i feel like this those points that I listed are a good starting point kind of as a checklist. Mm -hmm. um, if you do these things, you're going to, you're going to do better than if you don't do these things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I view them as kind of like best practices, right? Like mm -hmm. is, uh, the same way that uh, you want to have some security back best practices because you don't want mm -hmm. to make stupid security mistakes. Right. But at mm -hmm. some point you need an expert on that, that does a review mm -hmm. or uh, an audit of your application. And mm -hmm. that will find like the last 20 or 10 percent uh, that are missing right but you don't yeah. want to have a security audit that tells you you are vulnerable to c-serve attacks right mm -hmm. Bec that would be like the baseline that you just want to make sure works without any audits but like if you want to go the extra mile and make it really accessible or really secure you need an expert to do an audit right yes and that's the thing is like with with this when we're developing applications that are accessible you know, you do need, if you want to make sure that your application works for screen readers, you need a screen reader user to test it. Yeah. There's just no way to come get around that. But mm. if you learn enough about screen readers to be able to use your web application using a screen reader, then you can make sure, for instance, that at all of the, that you can navigate to every element with your keyboard, you know, mm -hmm. that you can, you can, you can find a lot of really elementary mistakes, um, and ensure that it's, it's mostly accessible. Yeah. Um, and so, because otherwise, if you're, if you're asking, you know, you, you asking screen reader user to test your application for you, um, and they may, uh, they may not be able to use it at all. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. possible, and then you you don't get any information. But mm. if you can figure out the the basic things, then then you can focus on the fine tuning as and, and the user experience. So one thing about accessibility that I like to mention is is that if you can make a web application accessible, you always I'm going to say always it's a very large yeah. statement, but then the user experience is so much improved for almost any user if you can yeah. make sure. You know that that your uh, site is is uh, uh, makes is able to be navigated. For instance, yeah. like you have links, like to be able to move around your web application, it makes a great user experience. And this is kind of where where accessibility and um, and use and responsive 
design can can kind of play nicely with each other. So um, if you consider on a mobile device, um, the one point is that uh, you can use, one point I have in this accessible web design section is to use a nav element, which is mm-hmm. an HTML element. And you can use that to provide links that allow your user to navigate um, not like within the actual page. So not only, you know, two other pages on your website, but actually two different heading areas on mm-hmm. your page. And this is actually often, um, I found, uh, I developed a web application with a colleague, um, which we used for our last event. And that was, uh, it's called Spacey. It's an application which, um, we developed so that, uh, it's, it's accessible, um, and it's to collect, um, different ideas from a whole bunch of colleagues, um, and do open space moderation, mm-hmm. uh, remotely so everybody can just put you know put like in an open space you write your, your a topic on a post-it note and then place it on a board so basically we we mocked that up and made it also um accessible so like mm-hmm. a web application that does this accessibly but i found that there was a lot of overlaps between that accessibility um and the mobile uh, design of the site. So for instance, if I'm with mobile, we're also often on a smaller device, for instance. Um, and we may at a certain point, like if we're scrolled all the way to the bottom of our, of our device, mm. we may be in an area of the web page where we don't see, um, what happens at the top of the web page, yeah. you know, and at that same point, we want a link to be able to link to that top to be able to spring mm-hmm. to the top. And that's kind of the, so that if we add that, um, we would add that for, for a screen reader user, for instance, so that they can spring around the page. But we can also, you know, for mobile devices, we can also um, uh, show that to the user and it's also helpful. So it improves the overall uh, user experience yeah. of the website as well. Yeah. Yeah, another um, example for that would also be the the main tag, right? Because it's also used by this uh, reader mode. A lot mm-hmm. of the web browsers nowadays offer to give you focus on uh, the content, right? So, can you mm-hmm. maybe explain what those landmarks are? Mm-hmm. What what they help us do? Yeah, so the landmarks are um, uh, the main landmarks are main header and footer, mm-hmm. um, and you can also use a side. Um, and those basically, uh, th- those, two, those two, especially the main, over oh, main header and footer, those three, um, are HTML landmarks. So those should come directly as the direct child of your body element. Mm-hmm. And what that, that does is, is that, um, it will, uh, add a, a layer of navigation to an assistive te- technology. So for a screen reader or another assistive technology, um, they will be able to, provide the user with a menu of, uh, kind of links. Here's the main content. Here's the header. You know, they can maybe shortcuts. They can, they can navigate directly there. Um, and so that just adds a layer. It gives information, uh, about where that is. So when we're developing web applications, we could, you know, a lot of web developers just use a div element for everything. Mm -hmm. Um, but here we have HTML elements, which have a specific purpose. Um, and they add, a uh, layer of meaning, and it also makes your HTML easier to read, uh, which is an added benefit. Uh, so, th- so that's what a landmark region is. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I cool. may, I, I think I linked there. I think there may be other landmarks uh, that you can also add to your HTML markup. Um, uh-huh. You can research it. Cool. So, so I think like one of the things that is different for a screen reader user than for a um, sighted user uh, is that um, you cannot glimpse into other areas of the page quite easily. So you need some way to to jump between things or get an overview of your web page. How yeah. can we help users doing that in our web applications? Well, use I use I usually use links. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to do that. So, uh, that would mean that, um, I, you, I just place a link if, if I need, if I think the user might need to get from this area of my web application to this area of the web application, I can, mm-hmm. I can add, uh, uh, what is it? Anchor um, link. Anchor link. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, to, so I add an ID to the specific section that I want to, um, link to, and then I can add an anchor link, uh, linking with a hash. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I can just with you, if the user clicks on the link automatically, they will, um, they will move to that area of the web application. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as I said, that's something that's also work that also improves the usability for mobile as well. If you do yeah. That. Very um, cool. Uh, and, and, uh, headings, do they also help with that? Can they offer some structure or something? Um, I think headings don't offer, uh, yeah, they just offer structure in the sense they just offer the information structure. So yeah. they also, um, uh, allow, I think with, with a screen reader, you can, um, over, view an overview of all the headings on the page. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's, it's good to use headings, which, um, which are obvious what the heading, what it means. Like it actually describes what, what it is at mm-hmm. that specific part on the page. And what's really important with headings is that you don't ever, 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 ever skip heading levels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm saying that because I I am a developer and I know the first time I um, was working with headings, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to use this H1 tag, but but the H2 is too big. It's mm-hmm. visually just doesn't, doesn't look right. So I'm going to use um, an H4. And then I was like, ah, oh, how bad is it? And I, I didn't understand. So I had to read up on it. Yeah. Um, I didn't understand this that the H the heading levels are not intended to look like anything. The yeah. H2 levels are intended to provide a clear documented um structure of your of your document. So it should be like your table of contents should be mm. your heading level. So you can have we should have one H1 for the page. Then you have different heading levels h2 elements which which are maybe the main set sections and then you can have under h2 level levels you can have an h3 you know maybe a few h3s to break it up but never skip from like an h1 directly to an h4 because what that happens if you think if you're going through the content and the user um is just just only has the content and they go from the h1 level to the h4 they're going to think that they are missing two heading levels like oh, yeah. I, I, where where's the content gone? You know, they're gonna yeah. think you made a mistake. They're not gonna think, um, they're not gonna they're gonna be. Con- it's possible, very possible that someone would get confused. Yeah. So it's definitely. very important. So what you can do instead is you can you style your headings based on you can style an H two to look like an H six, or you know it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't, but but it needs to be an H two. Mm-hmm. That's the point. <laughs> cool. Okay. So, so, so one thing that is also um, 
quite uh, inaccessible for a lot of people are forums, right? Because mm -hmm. there are certain trends right now that make them even more inaccessible uh, than they uh, used to be. Um, so yeah. can you give us a few hints about how to design our forums in a way that they make, they are accessible to people? <clears throat> um, yeah. So the one trick, uh, <laughs> trick, it's like common sense, but um, always use a label element. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's one, it's one thing that is, is very important. And one thing that is often done wrong. Yeah. Um, and that is that use a label element for every input field that you have. So you can either wrap your input field, um, like wrap, like add a label as a container around your input field, uh, around your input field with the text. So, uh, so that you know that the label belongs to the input or um, even a little bit better is if you have a label which uses the for attribute um, and an ID, uh, it, the for attribute should reference the ID of the input field, input mm -hmm. field that, um, that it is referencing. And that's very important because when um, someone is navigating the page, um, first of all, for screen reader users, if you navigate the page, and you just land inside an input field, um, if the input field has a label, that um, that label will be read out to the user. So it's yeah. like an extra, it, it adds the information, it tells the user what does this input field do? Because otherwise, if you're in an input field, it'll just say edit text, invoice over, for instance, it says edit text. And you're like, well, that's not helpful. What at text am I editing? Yeah. You know, so adding the label will tell you what text you're editing. Mm. Um, but not only that, it's also extremely important for users who, <laughs> just any user, frankly, but yeah. um, especially important for uh, for users who may be uh, have difficulty concentrating, for yeah. instance, because with um, with labels which don't have forms, that usually means they misuse the placeholder attribute. Mm to make the text, the label appear in the input field. And then when the user clicks in the field, that text disappears. So yeah. if a user has difficulty concentrating, what may happen is they click in the field, the text dis disappears, and then they're like, wait, what am I doing? Yeah. You know, um, what, which, which, what, was, what was it that I was supposed to input here? And the other thing is, is if you think about just frankly, just usability, of the page, if you put in, you know, they put in the the thing, the the fill of the whole form. Maybe they submit it, and something's wrong. You know, the typical yeah. user experience is that the whole form will come back, and it will show you the fields which are wrong. But at that point, do you remember what yeah. you put in the field? So you might get like a this, uh, please input a number or something, and you're like, but I don't remember what field it was. Like, what yeah. number am I supposed to put in? So just always use a label with input mm -hmm. fields. Um, and remember, so placeholders are not intended to be labels. Um, uh, so they were intended to give, you know, like maybe some example information. If, mm. if, if the field is input name, you might put, you know, Joy Heron as a placeholder mm -hmm. to kind of show that this is the format that we would kind of expect. It's supposed to be a help but it's not supposed yeah. to be the main instructions. Yeah. Um, so this is especially difficult because there's some new, um, there's some designers who use 
they were like input fields are boring <laughs> yeah and so they just uh decided to be cool with their design mm -hmm. um and what, what they did is there's a, you know there's a common design pattern which is that when you when you play place your cursor you know the the, the label is is um shown over you know, like shown as the text mm -hmm. <laughs> it's shown like in the in the place where you see the text and when the user clicks in there the label moves up and becomes a little smaller um, yeah but it's really difficult i mean theoretically you could do that with the actual label element but it's really difficult and most people don't and that's a yeah. big problem um yeah. And and I and the other problem with that is that when the text is in the lab, in the input field, it also looks like it's filled already. Yeah. It's just a, it's like a, so it's bad usability. So I just would I would say for the most part just leave it leave it the other typical typical uh, form field looks like a form field, which means that the label is is up like it's the label is there, and then an input field follows directly under it. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. left aligned. The input field looks like an input field, which means it's a box. Yeah. Um, it looks like you can click in it. Uh, these kind of things. So this is a this is a common usability thing. We mm. we shouldn't, you know, think it's boring. <laughs> so let's yeah. make something. Let's make some really cool design. Frankly, yeah. when it comes to form fields, boring is really really good because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it means that it'll be easier for users to figure out if it's mm -hmm. like so boring that it's obvious how to use it that's that should be the goal for forms it's just so boring that it's obvious that how to fill out the form yeah yeah because um, boring is easy to understand right yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I means so we've been using the, the using the, the patterns that we all know about that's yeah. what it means exactly exactly <laughs> yeah like uh, especially the floating label pattern or however you want to call it i find it so weird because um uh, some people put the uh label inside the field because they want to save space which i find to be not a great reason but an an understandable reason but if you do the floating label thing you're already reserving space for that label right because you're mm -hmm. floating it up there anyway so why not put it there from the beginning yeah. right so this is something i find quite hard to understand but yeah, yeah. um this is <laughs> some trend so we need to accept that but we don't need to accept that in the scope of accessibility um no. okay cool um so this this helps us uh to build more ex uh, accessible forms um mm -hmm. another topic um are uh, things that you want to show and hide like i have a very mm -hmm. long page and i have certain areas that uh where i say this is like additional information that you only need to look at if you really want to uh and mm -hmm. uh, one pattern for that are accordions um mm -hmm. uh, what can i do to build a good accordion uh, component so that it's also usable for screen reader users well, I like there's a new uh, newer HTML element, um, which you if you aren't supporting, uh, um, I think Internet Explorer 11, you could use it. And that's the details element like, that mm -hmm. actually um, provides this exactly this behavior. So the thing is, is if you are showing and hiding content for um, for users visually, you probably want to show and hide that same content for someone who is not accessing your site visually. 
mm-hmm. um, because it's probably not that important. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the details element, it's uh, it you add the details element and then you add you can add a summary inside, and so that just adds like a toggle field which will collapse and expand the content. So that's actually the easiest way. It's um, it works all the time as long as the HTML element is is uh, supported, which it is in all the browsers. Um, so that's currently, I would say, it's, it'd be nice if you could get away with using only that. Um, I haven't actually tried to use only that in projects yet. Um, mm. But if you are, like, usually we have to implement this behavior in some way. Um, and with, uh, so so the way, yeah. So I uh, I have on the site, I have a custom element that I've defined and I basically copy it between projects. Yeah. What it is, is it's just, um, it's just a toggle button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what mm-hmm. it does is I add the toggle button to the page. And when uh, JavaScript is enabled, um, it will, uh, it will toggle the content. So I, I connect, I, I add an attribute to the button. I say the data target with uh, maybe an href or, or something or, you know, maybe a CSS selector. Um, but what that does is it just will, um, will t- hide and, and, uh, and collapse that content, um, the content that it references. And what it does is it also uses the area expand attribute. So the area expanded attribute um, is an attribute that you add to a button to mm-hmm. tell the button what state is the UI currently in. Mm. Um, I've seen that mistake made a few times as someone thought that the um, area expanded attribute was what you put on the content to show tell if the content was expanded or not. And that's not what it is. The mm-hmm. area expanded attribute tells the button. It adds an information to, like f- for screen readers, which will tell the screen reader, um, is it collapsed or expanded currently? Mm-hmm. And if it's collapsed, the user knows they can expand it. And if it's, uh, if it's <laughs> expanded, they know they can collapse it. And so that... Um, I have a little custom element that you can look at on the web- website. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I like to do is I like to also, um, uh, with with the um, with this kind of accordion element, I personally like to make all the content. I hide the toggle button by default, mm-hmm. and I um, I will only activate it. And and I I hide the toggle button by default, and I show the content by default. Um, and then if JavaScript is activated, um, I have the JavaScript, uh, re- like, you know, remove the hidden field from the button mm-hmm. and then uh, hide the content um, and make it the toggle button. But what that does is that if, uh, what it does is that if the if the browser doesn't support JavaScript or, well, I mean, usually they have support JavaScript to some extent, but it doesn't support that flavor of JavaScript or there's some JavaScript error in your bundle or something else um, yeah. or you just didn't weren't able to download the javascript because your internet connection is really really bad in that instance your you your content will still be available um so that's yeah. a little bit of con- of progressive enhancement for instance the the website itself responsible web.app it uses this content this um component in the menu Uh, Mm -hmm. but I have an old Android device and I tested it on the Android device and it didn't like it in quotations, it didn't work (laughs) because my Android device doesn't support custom elements. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a bit older. 
Uh, and I thought it was just great because it actually looked okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, good. I don't have to do anything. You know, the toggle button um, failed. But in this, this instance, um, I can just use modern JavaScript. And, and, and for older Android browsers, they won't actually know that it was supposed to collapse. So yeah. I don't really have to do anything. Um, yeah. So That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. It's w one thing that I always want to... Uh, um, uh, say about accordions is that if you include an accordion you should probably think about why are you hiding this content if it's not that important does it need to be on the page or mm -hmm. maybe you could you put it on a different page and link to it like this is something like yeah i i, I always feel like accordions are a bit overused but mm -hmm. um that's just like my personal taste um which yeah, i mean which, they're often used for menu buttons yeah like. that's true uh, and that's one that you usually you do kind of want, but yeah, but then agreed. even then, if your if your menu button doesn't um, like your hamburger menu button is mm -hmm. typically what it is, if that doesn't uh, work for um, on your phone, but you still can see the menu items, yeah, <laughs> then it's then it's fine, you know? yeah. So yeah, that's true. Cool. Um, so so one important thing is always like there might be c certain things on the page that should only be visible to sighted people and mm -hmm. uh, there should are other things that should only be visible to screen reader users yes. so w what is the technique there um so uh, first of all so like something like a sometimes there's elements in our page which like icons different things which are we add to be to make it more clear to the users what it does but the user, like a screen reader user, may already have all the context they need. So they don't need mm -hmm. extra information. So what we can do then is we can use a visually hidden uh, CSS class um, or, uh, or Mixin or whatever we're using um, to just hide it visually, but still mm -hmm. make it available in the accessibility tree. So the problem is, is if we were to use display none, mm -hmm. then it would not only remove it from the visual page it would also remove it from the screen reader um mm -hmm. it, yeah so sometimes anyway so then the, the, so i always have a helper class i i, I linked the css um on the page I, or I, I linked to i show i showed a css snippet the mm -hmm. one i usually use on the page um there's just some different things you can do to visual hide it visually i think i it's like position absolute making it one pixel high overflow mm -hmm. hidden like all these different things um mm -hmm. so yeah <laughs> cool okay so so uh, the the last topic i would uh, see is a focus like i think that's mm -hmm. especially a, a problem with uh, javascript heavy applications uh, that um, create usability or, the, or accessibility problems uh, what do mm -hmm. i need to know about focus uh, as like a 101 course I will answer that, but I actually will go back because yeah. I, I I talked about hiding content visually, but oh, I didn't talk yes. about the other part, which is mm -hmm. is um, adding contextual information only for screen readers, so that we can do that either by you know adding a you know a span attribute or a paragraph attribute to our page with that visually hidden class, but we can also use the area label or mm -hmm. the area labeled by attribute on our HTML to add um, add information. If, if it's necessary. So if it is an icon that uh, that we need to tell the user how to use the icon yeah, <laughs> um, and they don't know, they can't see it, so they can't 
they can't guess that it's an upload icon, we mm -hmm. should add a label to that. Um, mm -hmm. Frankly, we should add a label to it even, you know, visually in that yeah. context. But but um, if we do have information which we need to add contextual information with a screen reader, we should use we can use like a label, an area label or mm -hmm. just a visually hidden um, element. Yeah, but um, we're Back talking focus. about focus. Yes. Yeah. So that's just something that if if we don't do anything with JavaScript, it's not that that then just leave it. Yeah. <laughs> so by default, um, browsers add a focus style to form elements. Um, uh, so when you tab through a web page, it will add a, a focus to. Usually, I think it's form elements and buttons. Um, I, I've uh, configured my Safari. You can configure browsers so that they also will focus on links by default. But usually, the, the default focus style is like a blue ring. Mm -hmm. um, and what some sometimes, um, you know, a designer will come. Oh, that's so ugly! Like mm -hmm. you have to get rid of that. And I'll, you know, like I think in that instance, what you can tell the designer is is that they need to find a great focus style. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it only remove um, a focus style if you have like something which clearly also indicates to the user that it uh, that it focuses. Yeah. But but often I just leave it. Frankly, um, yeah. It's it's not too big of a hassle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it's usually worth the effort of of testing focus styles in um in in all the different browser combinations that it could could that there could be. Um, it, it, it would make me really nervous to overwrite the default focus mm -hmm. styles personally. Um, usually I find that I prefer to invest my time in, in a few other things just because I'm yeah. scared I'll, I'll lose, I'll, I'll, I'll miss out on some browser somewhere and the focus styles won't, won't work so, so correctly. Um, and that kind of scares me. I think in this, actually, on this website, though, I think I did use this a focus style, so maybe I... Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I use the same one. I use, like, an outline as well, but I think I yeah. use an outline as well, but I just styled it differently. It's like, I think I used a dash and maybe a different color of blue, but it's still a, a visual focus style. And the important thing with that is, is that um, is that when a user is a keyboard user, they will navigate the page, and they need to know where they are uh, when they're on the page, um, yeah, it's kind of uh, if if you are tabbing through the page and you don't know which form field you're in, that that's just you just can't use the page. Um, mm -hmm. So so that's the one thing. And then if you do use um, JavaScript, <laughs> which yeah. I mean I I don't I do use JavaScript for web applications. I just try to minimize it. But if you're moving like when you do certain things with JavaScript, you also need to consider focus. So for instance, if you are um, uh, if you, I ha have an example that I linked, um, if you're using like a pad, pag doing pag pagination, pagination with JavaScript, mm -hmm. um, and you click on a show more button, um, that doesn't like, if you think in the context, think how would a, like, if, if I am in this context, I click a button and I can't tell that something happened. <laughs> mm -hmm. How do I know that something happened? So, um, in that instance, it's, probably best to move the focus to the new item that's loaded in mm. that instance. Um, and then you can test it to make sure it works. Of course, mm -hmm. test, 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 test. Um, but, but only do that in very, very, um, I, I don't know, be, be very, very, don't, don't move the focus unless you really have a good reason for doing it. Yeah. If, if you're loading new content and you think if the user clicks on this button and this new content loads, 
and it, it would be useful for the user to move to that content, do you can do that. You should also add at that point, you should also add a, a label, um, like a visually hidden label, which will tell the user that they moved. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that they know, uh, kind of mimicking the, this, this behavior. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So, so especially like, like, um, I think like wrapping up both points, it's, uh, you should always reconsider if you are thinking about replacing a default thing that the browser offers because yeah. the the browser vendors did a lot of work to make them accessible and so on and if you just like mm -hmm. will uh, replace them without thinking too much about them you will probably make a mistake uh, mm -hmm. and you should probably consider the cost of re-implementing them in a uh, accessible way Uh, before doing that, right? So um, yeah. I think that's I, um, yeah. Important. Maybe to wrap up, I think in general, just developing applications in this way, you know, you're you're developing based on browser standards. So, yeah. So I like to think about it as um, you're developing. Uh, it's it's easier to support browsers that are old <laughs> mm -hmm. because you can just think about like, especially HTML and CSS are both very um stable so if if an older browser um if, if it has if it sees something that it doesn't understand it ignores it if it's html and css yeah. so it's easier to to create a minimal viable experience with html and css which works um and and then you can support almost any browser <laughs> yeah you know going really far back um with very minimal effort um But also it's, it's developing browser, it's developing your application for the future. Um, browsers mm. are well known for being backwards compatible. So if I, um, if something has made it into the HTML spec or made it into the CSS spec and I use it in my application and it works now, it will work in, in 10 years or 15 years, yeah. maybe even 20 years. You know, how many, mm. how many technologies can we say that about? You yeah. Know? Um, this is, so this is one of the things I love developing web applications this way because it's, it's much easier to develop for the past. You know, even if we are using JavaScript, we use polyfills in the future, we can just delete those polyfills. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, so we're upgrading our application by deleting stuff, which is great. Um, and we're also thinking forward. Our application will, will look the same and, and work the same, uh, in five years as it does today. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Cool. So my, my personal prediction is also that, uh, that that more people will become screen reader users in the future because we use things like Siri and, and so on to read stuff to us, right? So mm -hmm. I think uh, this is also preparing your page for the future to make them uh, usable by voice assistants or however you want to call them. Okay, Joy. So thank you so much for this great overview of those two very important topics. Um, and uh, I hope to get you some back on the podcast someday. And yeah, <laughs> thanks for your time. And thanks for all the listeners uh, for their time. And yeah, see you next time. Bye bye.